Hello and welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, Wendell. Uh, the Raptors lose once again. No, this is not a recording. Uh, the Raptors are now winless. Well, I guess they remain winless uh, in the Atlantic Division, uh, which, I mean, I know divisions don't matter anymore, but damn, these are the teams you see the most often. And the Raptors are 0-3 against the Sixers. They are uh, 0-2 against New York. They lost to Brooklyn, and they are 0-2 uh, against the Boston Celtics. So, um, yeah, not great, but, I mean, at the same time, I feel like so many of these uh, recaps have been so, um, you know, down um, just because their performance has been down. Like, uh, But, you know, maybe we try to be a little bit more positive with this one. And, you know, if you were to be positive about this one, I think for the Raptors, the way they started this game was brilliant. Um, you know, it was like, wow, this is the team that – um, you know, expect to see all the time, but you expect to see it sometimes, right? Like, um, you know, they they came out with incredible energy. They were up thirty-seven to twenty-eight in the first quarter, and they showed, you know, just lots of hunger, lots of fight. They helped each other on defense, which I feel like never happens anymore. I I know that like so much of last season was about okay over helping and leaving guys open, but like now you see the Raptors like never help each other. It's like, uh, okay, we've given up a switch from Jakob Pertl against Tyrese Maxey. But let's not help. Let's actually not help, you know? Like, let's just let's just see what happens here. Oh, it's a step back three. Cool. Um, so they, they, they've gone the total opposite of the spectrum because you saw the Sixers tonight, um, you know, being a Nick Nurse team, applied a ton of ball pressure, played a lot of zone, uh, shot a lot of double teams, and um, just generally, like, you know, harassed and harried the Raptors into – um, turnovers and also just like rushed opportunities uh, and also forced the ball away from their best players in towards the hands of some of their, their lesser players. Nevertheless, um, the Raptors started well. They started well, and I'm going to try to be a little bit more positive. And, and honestly, I'm not, it's not even just trying. Like, they, they played better tonight. Like, they, the, the second quarter there or the, the, was, was disappointing in the sense that they let it all slip and Raptors ended up trailing. But first quarter was great. Uh, Raptors were able to... Uh, again, forced a lot of turnovers from the Sixers. They were able to send a third man on the pick and rolls between Maxi and Embiid. That forced the Sixers into a lot of turnovers. Honestly, the Sixers probably came off to just like a bit of a sleepy start anyway. Like, I'm not trying to say that, you know, they can't handle a third body being thrown at a pick and roll. Like, I'm sure that they see that all the time. And so, essentially, what the Raptors were doing was, see, Maxi, you know, he's getting covered by uh, Schroeder, and then, you know, uh, Embiid is usually screening. He's getting covered by Jakob. The Raptors were sending um, a lot of help from the wings, so the opposite wing, so whether that was Pascal or OG or Scotty, which one of those guys, they were helping out a lot in that pick and roll, and, you know, the Sixers were just also a bit sloppy with it, and it resulted in the Raptors getting uh, a lot of offense in transition, you know, forcing the turnovers, getting out on the break, I mean, essentially Nick Nurse basketball, if I had to be completely honest about it, like that is uh, the whole idea and the whole premise of how he liked to play uh, for the last, you know, three, four years when he's been in, um, in charge of this team was just let's let's try to run that. Basically, since the championship, they were like, look, we don't have enough half-court scoring. Let's try to pressure, use our pressure defense to get us offense. And that's ironically how the Raptors were beating the Sixers to start this game. And Pascal, you know, set the tone. He was really, really excellent to start this one. Uh, 14 points, I believe, in the first quarter alone, got to the foul line six times, was constantly making these beautiful cuts back door, um, and the Raptors did a great job of finding him. They also, 
you know, there was a clear emphasis to, to get Jakob the ball more often. Um, Jakob obviously has been struggling the last couple of games, kind of, you know, wasn't playing the fourth quarter of either the Charlotte game or the the Nuggets game. And so Darko said after the, you know, the the Nuggets game, like, hey, we're going to, I'm going to talk to Jakob. You know, I know he's a better player than this. And look, I'm actually really happy that they were able to coax a bounce back performance from him. Raptors were able to run a lot of pick and roll. The, the Sixers were obviously, I mean, like every team basically ignoring Jakob Pertl. Joel Embiid was like really looking to roam, help, and just occupy paint space and, and show help towards other players, especially with Pascal being hot. And so that left lots of gaps for, for Jakob to be able to roll and, and just like get in for those little short push shots, little hook shots. He was just doing really well. And, um, you know, that pick and roll was was working nicely. It's been a while since we've seen the Jakob uh, Dennis pick and roll work. But when you leave up that much gap, I mean, as long as Jakob can set a decent screen and, and Dennis is able to use it to shed that first defender, then he's stepping into a lot of room. That that pick and roll should be good unless the Sixers are sending a third body at it, which in this case they weren't because they were like, we're trying to stop, you know, Pascal and Scotty. Um, and so Jakob got into a groove to the point where he actually had uh, a really nice move where he caught the ball kind of had an angle on Embiid and it, you usually don't see him take those even if he does have an angle but he actually drove Embiid to the basket and went for an up and under move uh, for a reverse finish and um, you know it, it was an unfortunate play because Embiid went up to contest he bit for the fake and he jumped and he landed and he rolled his ankle pretty badly I gotta say like it, it wasn't fully 90 degrees but you know like uh, ugh, it was close uh, it was close it was a pretty nasty ankle roll uh, landing on Jakob's foot and, um, you know, so it looked like, oh, my God, is Embiid going to miss the rest of this game? He does not, by the way. The, the Sixers call timeout, and they get him back into the game immediately, and he was able to play 35 in this one. Clearly, he was hobbled. There's, like, no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, the Raptors started off really well. And, you know, they had played Pascal in the entire first quarter. Uh, Scotty played a lot with them as well. The, the two combined quite decently. To be honest, the only source of offense for the Sixers early on was just a bunch of Tobias Harris. But you're also like, okay, well, you know, given the option between, like, Maxi, you know, Embiid, uh, and Tobias Harris, I mean, like, fine. If Tobias gets some more opportunities, um, he's a very capable scorer, there's no doubt, but you got to live with somebody. And so Tobias was going off. But unfortunately, even though the Raptors had a nine-point lead, uh, it, it started to slip from them. Um, you know, Darko decides, okay, I'm going to go with my second unit to start, you know, the second quarter. I mean, whatever. He's not going to play the starters the full 48 minutes. Um, you know, but okay. What is that second unit coming to do? And this is where it's like, it's it's hard to just blame the coach or say it's just lineups because it's like, at the end of the day, like players got to take individual account of their own ability and, and their own production to this. Um, there was a stretch. So Precious Central kind of comes into the game and he's well, obviously pretty heavily involved in the second unit. You know, he's the center. He's got a screen. He's got to play pick and roll, that kind of stuff. Precious, for like a 45 minutes, a 45 second span, drove in for a contested layup, missed it, but probably could have made it, honestly. Like he was, he got from the three point line to the rim and he had separation from his man, missed it. The Sixers go the other way. The Raptors got to stop. They break. They throw it up ahead to Precious. Precious goes to the rim again. Uh, gets stripped. Sixers go the other way uh, after recovering the steal. Go back. Uh, Raptors get another stop, and the Sixers come. You know, Raptors come back. 
they swing the ball to Precious. Precious throws a pretty bad pass to Otto Porter. Otto was actually open on the opposite wing. Like, it was a good read, but it was a bad pass. So it, it kind of took Otto away from being open. Otto had to give it up. But the ball eventually swung back to Precious, wide open three, and he missed that. It, it's things like that. It's like, look, like unless you don't want Precious to play at all, which, honestly, based on this roster, I'm not sure how you would even do that. But, like, at a certain point, you know, it's not really on the coach. Like, even me, who I, I don't I haven't really been happy with the performance of the coaching or the decision-making of the coaching, like, you still got to play them. Like, the players just got to do better than that. Like, in a 40-second in a span, you miss two layups and a wide-open three. Like, that, how is that not deflating? How is that not going to cut your momentum? And, you know, Darko tried something new today, which was to bring in Otto Porter. Um, we've seen this, I think, three times now this season where um, – you know, the rotation doesn't initially have Otto Porter, but after a, a bit of, like, lag, the, the Raptors ultimately turn to Otto, and they bring him back into the game. So Otto was in today. And, and Otto, when he comes in, it's like, oh, he's solid. Like, he knows how to play. He's, he's in the right spots. He's moving the ball. You know, didn't knock down all his threes, but one for three is actually a pretty good percentage for the Raptors considering the whole team shot nine of 33, which is less – that's 27%. Like, I mean, you're not going to win. I mean, again, it's just Raptors losing the math battle once again. The Sixers – Go 14 of 31, including a whole bunch of pull-up threes by, uh, by uh, uh, Tyrese Maxey in the second half. But essentially, the second unit came in, and it just really wasn't working. And, um, you know, it, it's uh, – it, yeah, I mean, I will credit the Sixers, too. Like, they played some zone. You know, they, they were able to, you know, chunk up the game. The Sixers didn't even have their full roster. You know, they're, they're missing guys like Patrick Beverly, DeAnthony Melton, um, you know, guys like that who would actually be in the rotation – um, and so they had to dip a little bit deeper, but you know, Nick Nurse, big Nick Nurse, he's like, look, I'm, if I got to play seven guys, if I got to play eight guys, I'll do it. And he played nine guys today. Ultimately his ninth man is Frank Van Corkman, who played seven. So really he played eight with Covington, 24 minutes off the bench, Daniel house, 23 minutes off the bench and 13 for uh, Paul Reed. And in a lot of those stretches, you know, they were able to out hustle the Raptors. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's just a little bit tough. Unfortunately, I think for the Raptors side. You know, they really needed all guns blazing, and I felt like there was just such a lack of production from OG Ananobi. When you look at the final stat line, like, it doesn't necessarily stand out to you, like, 12 points on 4 of 9 shooting uh, with 4 rebounds on 5 assists. It's like, you know, what's so bad about this? It's just like every single time the Raptors got him a wide-open look, and obviously he's not generating his own offense, and when he does, it's a mid-range pull-up for an air ball. Um, But, like, yeah, like – when the Raptors got him wide open threes, like he just really, really needed to convert those, and they were missed opportunities. Meanwhile, the Sixers going the other way, and Tobias Harris got switched on to you know, or OG switched on to Tobias Harris quite a bit. It wasn't his primary matchup, but he also guarded him like a fair amount, um, pretty basically as much as anyone else. And um, yeah, Tobias was just making everything at twenty four points in the first half, and um, you know, it, it was just it was just really tough to see because the lead was slipping from Toronto. Um, you saw what, you know, Maxi driving in for a layup, Maxi hitting a pull-up three. Um, you know, you see that, uh, you know, OG gets an open three. He misses it. Uh, Dennis gets a layup. He misses it. Meanwhile, the other way, Tobias Harris pulls up for three, ties the game finally for the Sixers at 54. That's when they officially overtook the Raptors. Sixers go to a zone. OG gets an open three against the zone. He misses it. Uh, you know, OG gets a rebound. For some reason, he doesn't pass it to Pascal, who's wide open on the left. He forces it into a crowd where Scotty and OG or Scotty and uh, Dennis are standing side by side. Which, first off, why they both standing side by side, waiting for the outlet. 
but they force the pass over to Scotty, who you know then has to evade somebody standing in for a charge. He ends up traveling, so unforced turnover. Uh, then you got OG beaten uh, on a high low from Tobias Harris. Gives up an and one. Sixers lead for the first time with a minute left. Um, you know, OG has an open look for three. This time he turns it down, gets a download, a yak. I mean, it's not even a bad pass, but like Embiid's right there, blocks him. Um, you know, yak gets blocked by Embiid twice to, to close the first half. Um, Embiid beats Yaka baseline, even though Embiid's on one foot. Like, he's literally got one ankle, and he still beats Yaka baseline. No help, of course, for the Raptors. And, uh, yeah, the Raptors, you know, trail a half. But, like, honestly, if you told me that the Raptors were down, like, uh, four points at halftime, like, coming into this game, I, I would have been I would have been happy because they're down. But I'll be like, okay, like, that's, that's understandable. Like, it's promising. Like, let's see where this goes. And, you know... It went the direction that you thought it would go. The Sixers obviously were able to, um, you know, pull ahead. The Sixers were able to start the third quarter with a lot more momentum. Um, you know, the Raptors open with uh, OG driving in for a charge again. I just, I, I just very disappointed by OG today, and, and he's been in a he's been in a rut the last couple of games. Um, you know, I, I credit to him. I even saw him like getting up shots. Super early last game when he was in Toronto, so he essentially came out for two warmups just to get extra shots in. So I'm, like he's he's working to get it back, but like at the same time, like in the in, like the Raptors have so little margin for error that if OG, who isn't even that consistent of an offensive player, but if he isn't clicking, then you have no chance against the Sixers, who obviously had three guys clicking today. The bias finishes thirty three, MB with thirty one, Maxi with thirty three, like. You can't even have one guy not clicking. And honestly, even if OG was clicking, there's no chance that the Raptors even beat the Sixers. But regardless, OG opens with a charge. Scotty misses a, uh, a pull-up jumper. Yaka misses a floater because he gets scared by Embiid. Meanwhile, the Sixers get a contested three from Marcus Morris. He knocks it down. Uh, Tobias Harris nails a mid-range pull-up. Maxi drives all the way through the basket for a layup. And the Raptors are down eight. And Darko calls timeout to try to stop the run unfortunately the run is not stopped um you know scotty misses an open three scotty misses a mid-range jumper kelly uber hits a three tobias harris hits a wing three and even though there's like some offense in between here with pascal you know doing a good job of you know either setting up Yakov for little cuts to the basket or uh pascal with a block that sets up an og transition finish or you know pascal spinning around and b for a layup it just wasn't enough, and um, essentially when the second unit came back in, you know, the Raptors um, just were not able to pull it close. Even though I got to give Darko some credit, you know, like he, he did get some he, you know creativity into his uh, schemes today, played a lot of zone against the Sixers um, team. You know, I, I thought, especially in the, the third quarter, it actually worked decently. Like I was tracking it. The, the Sixers scored twice against the zone, and one of them was a Joel Embiid fadeaway jumper. Another one was um, Embiid jumping in a crowd, and Honestly, he gets deep in the paint. Like, it doesn't really matter what defense you play. It's, you're probably going to foul him. But they also got four stops in that stretch, and they were able to get a whole bunch of transition scores off of that. Pascal, again, leading that charge, finishing a transition, give and go to, to Scotty for dunks, Gary knocking down some threes. And it was looking like, okay, it was decent heading into the fourth quarter. Like, the Raptors were a little trailing, but it looking a little bit decent. And, um, yeah, that's where, you know, Raptors come out pretty flat once again. I mean – it's it's tough because I would say even quality of chances wise, like the Sixers weren't getting like better quality of chances than Toronto, but at the same time they have such a big advantage in quality of players that like a bad shot for one of their better players is a better shot than a, a good shot for one of the Raptors' worst players. You know what I mean? Like Maxi taking you know step back threes or driving through a whole traffic, like 
that's a way better shot, even though it's contested, uh, and those are hard shots, but he's so much more skilled than what Toronto had to offer on the other side. You know, you had, like, for example, to start the fourth quarter, you know, Darko, again, he's, he's starting to get more creative. Like, I'm, 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 I'm trying to see that. I'm trying to appreciate that because he did do things differently compared to the last couple of games. He played auto, for example. He played zone, for example. He switched up his rotation. He opened the fourth quarter with Dennis, Scotty, OG, Gary, Precious. Now, is that necessarily something that's going to work? I, I don't mean I don't know, but at the same time, like it is Dennis playing with the second unit, which you haven't seen too much. And I don't know a lot of people want Dennis to go to the bench. Well, this is what it would look like, for example, for, for Dennis to play in these kind of mixed lineups. And unfortunately, he just didn't do well in that group. Like, Dennis tried to get downhill, missed the layup, fell over. Meanwhile, the Sixers go the other way. Maxi um, drives in five on four, and he's able to finish a layup. That's a four-point swing. Then Dennis gets a wide-open three. He misses it. Uh, You know, Paul Reed drives the other way. Unfortunately, he elbows Dennis going to the basket, and somehow it wasn't called. uh, But it knocked over Dennis. Paul Reed was able to finish a layup. So that's like two... Four-point swings, that's eight points right there just off of Dennis missing shots and the Sixers getting to the rim. And one of them was like definitely a bad no-call. But, yeah, you're you're in a relatively tight game, and you swing the game by eight points. Like, that's always going to be a huge momentum shifter, you know? And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, It just kind of wasn't enough. And ultimately, like, when it came down to a close game at the end there, I think you just always felt more confident in the Sixers. They have guys who can just get buckets out of nowhere, um, you know, Maxi, uh, and B, these kind of guys just consistently making shots. You know, there's plays where like loose balls will bounce towards Tobias Harris. You just pick it up and flip it in. But you know, it, it's it, it's a it's a difference in quality. And I did say that I was going to be a little bit more positive about this, but I mean, at the same time, like yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's it's hard to say that about a loss. You know, like you you do get tired of it. You do get tired of the fact that you do see like this team is fighting uphill and um. You know, most times when you're fighting uphill, you're 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 probably gonna come out um, with a loss, and that's what happened here today. I mean, I don't think anyone expected anything differently, but it it was at least pleasantly surprising to see the Raptors come out with such a strong emphasis. I know that that's been an issue for them is getting down early, but once again, the Raptors uh, were unable to you know do enough to to close out and finish the win against a quality opponent. So. Um, I'm going to come back. There are some more positives. I thought Pascal played really well. Um, I thought that uh, Gary continues to look better and better. So I'm going to try to highlight some of those. Um, Scotty also had a couple of great defensive plays, even though offensively uh, his shot wasn't dropping. But we're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to the Raptors Reaction Podcast on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Welcome back to the Raptors Reaction Podcast on Sports Talk on 90 The Fan. Continue to recap this 121-111 win uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers over the Toronto Raptors, who dropped to 11-17 and 17 on the season. 3-9 away from home and also 0-8 in the division. It's, um, damn, that's, uh, that's nasty. I mean, look, whatever. This was always going to be a difficult one. Raptors don't have anything against the Sixers. I mean, they don't have anything to stop Embiid. They don't have anything to stop Maxi. And honestly, you tell me Tobias Harris is 33 on top of that? Like, yeah, no, no chance. No chance. Uh, but, you know, some positives from this one. I, I have to give some flowers to Pascal Siakam. I thought he played this game really well. Um, super efficient game. Of course, it's it's something you would love to see him. Being able to knock down threes, 0-4 from three is, is not good. Uh, but he finds ways to contribute. He finds ways to attack. He is, um, I thought today he didn't even have the ball much, um, but he was able to cut 
get to the right spots, draw fouls. He was really quick in transition, attacked the mismatches when he had them. But honestly, the Sixers didn't even put a lot of, like, you know, big wings or whatever out there. Plus, they have rim protection. So, like, it's like it's not an ideal circumstance for him to to attack against. The Sixers also played a bunch of zone as well. But, you know, Pascal still ends up being incredibly efficient. And um, a lot of this was just reading the game and, and, and getting himself to the spots where – you know, he could get open, um, you know, did a lot of good things, playmaking for others as well. That's always something that part of his game. But 31 points tonight in 36 minutes, 10 of 16 shooting, which means that he was 10 of 12 from twos, 11 of 12 from the free throw line, which is massive. A, because he doesn't typically get that many foul attempts, but also, you know, he, sometimes he misses some free throws. And I guess I know it gets people a lot you know, very annoyed at it, but like you should then be pretty happy the fact that he won 11 of 12. Like, that's awesome. Um, and just, yeah, generally just learning to be efficient, learning to be uh, able to cut off the ball. Again, I, I didn't even feel like Pascal was particularly featured in this game. Um, I mean, I knew he had the most shot attempts, 16. Second most was like 15 for, for um, Jakob. And, you know, then it's 11 for Scotty, 11 for Gary. But, like, it wasn't like Pascal had the ball that much. It was just he got himself those shot attempts by getting open, by making cuts, by, you know, uh, you know, breaking forward in transition. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a nice step in his game. I mean, like, you know, obviously nothing's going to come close to the efficiency that Pascal had uh, in the championship year where he had the floor spaced out between Serge and, you know, uh, Mark playing at five, both guys who can shoot threes at the center position, also having an elite playmaker in Kyle Lowry running the point. Fred, obviously, as uh, a great backup. Kawhi obviously being the number one option, taking away lots of defensive attention, and also Pascal kind of sneaking up on a lot of teams uh, in terms of that year being most improved. But, you know, coming into the year, I don't think a lot of teams had him on the scouting report. So, obviously, nothing's going to really come close to that that season for Pascal. He also shot the three at a decent rate that year as well, shot a lot of corner threes. That year, he was at 63% true shooting, right? And, um, you know, that's, again, that's a phenomenal rate. Um, and, of course, the Raptors won the championship that year, thanks in large part to Pascal's breakout. Um, my point is that since then, obviously, Pas uh, Kawhi left, and he became the featured number one guy, and, and he's the one drawing double teams. And, you know, his true shooting percentage has then come back down. You know, like 55% is decent. It's 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 good. Um, it's just like a little bit above league average, if not league average. But he's been at 55, 55, 56, 56. And... This year, and this is not even factoring tonight's game where, again, he was really efficient, 31 points on 16 shooting possessions. Um, but he's at 57.7% right now, true shooting. After a game like this, he could probably get up to 58. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's it's a season where, obviously, the three-point shot isn't there for him on, on pretty much most nights. Um, he's still shooting, what, 26% from three. Uh, after all four today, that'll drop down. Um, but it's, you know been a really efficient season for him creating his own twos he's at 58 percent um coming into this game on two point shots you, you throw in the fact that he was 10 to 12 today that's going to improve even more um he's getting to the foul line uh he's he's converting the free throws now i mean obviously he started the season you know uh you know in a wicked um slump on the free throw line as well as the three-point line but the free throws have come back around for him I think it's just like the system changed. Um, obviously, the coaching changed. Even the priorities changed. Like Pascal was still, I suppose, like your leading scorer, but he doesn't get the ball as much as he did last season. He doesn't hold the ball as much as last season. Doesn't have the green light as much as last season. Um, 
he doesn't play as many minutes as last season, but he's still finding ways to contribute. And it does remind me of like what he, Pascal said at the start of the year um, when there was so much discussion around him. You know, the takeaway after media day was like, did Masai kind of imply that you know Pascal was selfish? And you know, this this whole conversation went into it, and and you know, Pascal even himself kind of batted that thought away and. Um, Darko talking about, you know, Pascal's going to have to adjust to a couple of things, but, you know, we'll see. And, and I remember Pascal always talking about that time. It was just like, look, you know, we're going to change things. I understand that. But the ball is always going to end up in, you know, the best player's hands. Um, that was his sort of belief, his belief in, in basketball, just how the, the sport of basketball works. And, you know, that, you know, that's going to ultimately decide uh, how the game is played. And, and, I don't think he did anything to break the system, quote unquote. He just found ways to get open and score, and he's adapting and learning more and more of how to play within it. And you know, again, like it's, um, I I do feel bad because it's like it, it's all kind of in vain. Like he's, uh, you know, found a way to to get back to form. Uh, he's found a way to become, you know, arguably as efficient as he's ever been um, as a featured player, um, but. Yeah, at the same time, it just doesn't quite matter. I think that's the part that makes me, uh, I feel a little bit sad about it. Of course, I think he can definitely improve on defense. There are certain, there are lots of games where I feel like, okay, he is, you know, saving more for offense than he is for defense. There's a couple plays where, you know, he rotates and guys are able to, you know, blow by and stuff like that. Like, you know, I'm not saying he's a perfect player by any means. And of course, a three point shot needs to come back. But, like, there has been this, like, steady progression pretty much since the last time the Raptors played the Sixers where Pascal had a game where he only had like eight and it's like okay all right come on we got to find a way to get him going since that time he's really been able to do so and um yeah it's encouraging uh it's encouraging for him it's not enough to carry the team um but you know we're looking for positives and 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 he has been absolutely a positive I think Gary is it's it's also rounding the form a little bit for Gary. Now, of course, rounding the form could just be like he had a decent night from three, five of eight from three tonight, six of eleven from the field overall. The one two point shot he made was also Pascal getting him a, a, a look from three, uh, a hard closeout from the Sixers. Gary pump face steps in, makes that. So it's like all of that is all predicated on his shooting. But I think he's he's found a better rhythm the last couple of games here. Uh, he's been able to again, you know, find his spots a little bit more, you know, attack off of on the catch, um, and just be really confident and smooth with the shot. I mean, that's who we know Gary to be. Ultimately, at the end of the day, like whether he starts or he comes off the bench, we need him to be a really good shooter. We need him to be very confident, look for his offense, and like. Yeah, there's obviously lots of opportunities where you want him to swing the ball or, you know, but, like, at the same time, like, playmaking is just not, like, a core part of his game or even, like, a side part of his game. His thing is just he shoots and he's, like, the best shooter on the team. Um, So, yeah, I mean, him coming off the bench, making 5-3, scoring 17 points, it's a a nice effort. And he had a good game against Denver as well. Um, You know, I think there's a definite case to be made to put Gary into the starting five. But I also think that, like, you know, the more I've been thinking about this idea, you kind of have to break Darko's system. You know, the system is, like, the point guard brings it up. um, You know, they run usually a little off-ball action to get somebody to come screen, like someone, like, screening the screener, essentially. uh, Try to force a mismatch a little bit, see if there's a high-low a little bit, get into the post, you know, move it around there, like, there's a lot of that going on and I'm not saying that Gary can't do that but I mean at the same time like it just seems like the guys he trusts the most to do it are Dennis and and Jakob like coming into the season he talks so much about this he being Darko like how much he trusts 
Dennis and how much he wants Jakob to be in a more featured playmaking role. Ironically, Jakob, even in a stated more quote-unquote playmaking role, is averaging the exact number of assists as he was last season when he came over mid midseason uh, under Nick Nurse, but it was a different kind of playmaking. You know, Jakob was largely screening, short rolling, because teams were double teaming against, like, let's say Fred. They would blitz Fred on the pick and roll. Fred will slip the pass to Jakob. Now he's playing four on three, and he's able to pick out passes in that setting. But he's on the move. He's rolling in space. Those are the typical passes that he will make. Um, now it's a lot more like, okay, Jakob's in the, in the high post, holding it stationary, looking for guys to cut and get open, and then finding high-low passes from there. So it's like an entirely different context. He's got the ball a lot more. But again, the, the, the product out of it is the same. My point is, I guess, you put gear into starting five, essentially what you're saying is forget the system, forget like you know running this action, or this dribble handoff. Let's just get whoever has the mismatch. Pascal has the mismatch. Let's get the ball to him. Scotty has the mismatch. Let's get the ball to him. Let's see what they, the opposing defense does. Do they double team? Do they not double team? If they do double team, how could we cut to get open? And also where the open kickouts for three. That's largely how, you know, the starting five would work if you were to put in, you know, Gary for Dennis or even Gary for Jakob. Um, most likely Gary for Dennis. And I, first off, I have no issues with that. Like I would, I, I would actually, I think that would actually lead to a more efficient offense for the Raptors. Um, you know, defensively, they're going to have issues. Like this is just... I mean, arguably their defense might even be worse because Dennis's on-ball defense is better than Gary's, and you still need somebody to track like quick guards like Maxi. I mean, whatever. I, I didn't think that like Maxi had felt too much pressure. He finished with thirty-three points on thirteen of twenty-two shooting, but at the same time, with ten assists as well. Um, but there were times where Dennis was able to shade and cover it and do a decent job. Maybe it doesn't matter, honestly. And and if that's the case, then whatever. But um, yeah, like that. That is, I guess, the trade-off. It's not even so much like um, how much the Raptors score or how efficient it is. It's just like you would essentially abandon what the Raptors are currently trying to do. And I don't know. I mean, it would take a lot, I think, for from a coach to abandon it really early. We have seen it, by the way. We've seen it. Like, for example, Milwaukee came into the year, um, Adrian Griffin really wanting to play, like, essentially a Nick Nurse-style defense. Uh, which obviously he was also, you know, uh, co-captaining in Toronto when he was an assistant coach. But, like, really aggressive, two on the ball, like, you know, double-team blitzes, the zones, uh, you know, show high with their bigs, all this kind of stuff. And, like, after a couple of games, the Bucks were like, nah, we don't want to do this. It doesn't work. Let's go play our old style. And then, you know, Adrian was like, all right, fine. I guess, yeah, I guess what, what choice am I going to have? I'm not going to overrule Dame and Giannis and Brooke Lopez and guys like that. So let's play the other way. So we have seen teams fold, but like, yeah, I mean, I just don't think that like, you know, even if the Raptors run it better, even the Raptors learn how to run it better. I just don't think that this, this, the system particularly fits the roster here. Like, you know, I was talking to Joe Wolf on, um, after he came on the show on Wednesday or no, on Thursday. And, you know, we were kind of continuing our discussion that we had on the show about sort of, you know, Darko's performance. And, you know, I, I want to give Joe Wolf on the full credit on this because he said, essentially, Darko is coaching a team that isn't here yet. Like, he's coaching what maybe the future pieces of the team might look like. You know, he's coaching as if he has lots of guards on the team. He's coaching as if he has a lot of shooting on the team. Clearly, that's not the case. Um, but then if that's – if that my I guess my thing was that it was just like, can we then get the messaging out there or can we at least sort of like – do something to make it clear that okay this year is not about winning this year is about taking our lumps transitioning our roster flipping it over towards something closer to what the system might look like and also meanwhile 
in the meantime, any players that are staying here needs to get better at the skill sets to to play that system. I don't know, it, it, but it was it was just a nice way that he put it, and um, yeah, because I feel like a lot of what Darko tries to do with this group doesn't look that similar or doesn't really work with this group, um, in terms of the talent on the paper. And yeah, if the things that do kind of work, ironically, are like you know, going to zones, going to play mismatched basketball through their wings, you know, taking their point guards off the floor, which never really happens for this team. Even if Dennis has six points on two of eight shooting and uh, Malachi has two points on one of four shooting, they still play a combined 44 minutes tonight, right? Like, again, like, I, I, I hate making this comparison all the time, but it's similar to the Hawks game, right? After the Hawks game, pointed out how the three Hawks that showed, uh, that played minutes um, had 75 points. Uh, from their three backcourt players, and the Raptors had 23 points in the backcourt. Tonight, just the point guard position alone, Dennis had six points, Malachi had two points, they shoot a combined three of 12, including 0 of 4 from three, and only two free throws. Meanwhile, Maxi by himself, has 33 points. Like, you know? So, it, it, it's... Whatever, but, like, it, it does feel like, ironically, the Raptors will be way more competitive with Nick at the helm. The Raptors probably would be more competitive with Fred at point guard instead of Dennis as well. I know this is like such a inflammatory topic. No one wants to talk about it. This is not me advocating for the Raptors to pay Fred forty plus million dollars. Obviously, I think there's an instance where Fred probably wanted to move on a little bit, and also Nick definitely wanted to move on a little bit too. But like, still, when you lose pieces like that, and, and honestly, championship pieces, right? Like, there's no doubt about that. Um, what are you moving on to? And you know. Tactically speaking, there is there's not there's not even a comparison between what you've moved on from Nick to what you got in Darko so far. Like this is t- Darko's most creative game today, and and the moves are like we put Otto Porter in the game for 15 minutes. We've uh, you know run some zone here. We've changed the rotation a little bit. Like it didn't matter at all. Like the Sixers just played through that. It's, in the second half, they had a very easy time winning this game. Um, meanwhile, like on the point guard side, like. We all knew that there was a real chance Fred would leave. There's a real chance Fred would get a huge offer that the Raptors wouldn't be comfortable matching. It's exactly what happened. And the backup plan was not only did he go for nothing, but the backup plan was, okay, I guess that opened up the mid-level. Let's get who's available in the mid-level. Like, the options weren't great. It was like Dennis, maybe Gabe Vincent, who barely has played for the Lakers. So I think that would have been even worse considering he's not available. But they didn't make any other moves to supplement the point guard position. They bring in Dennis. They try to empower Malachi, tell him to smile, tell him, like, you know, put an arm around the shoulder, everything. You could tell a man all you want. He stole two points in 10 minutes on one of four shooting with three turnovers. Like, you know, if, if it's not, like, the foul trouble one game like he did in the Hawks game, it's the turnovers or he's not making open shots or he's not defending well, like, Cork and Corkmas cut him for a layup. Like, man, if you let fucking Corkmas cut you for a layup – like you're a defensive liability, like for real. Like that's that's just like a six five guy just walking to the basket and shooting this over the top of you for a layup. Like you got to be stronger defensively um, in the league. But regardless, my point is that like the front office did not upgrade on the coaching position. They did not upgrade at the point guard position. They downgraded at both spots. And whatever, like you might say, well, fine. There's still like enough talent here to to do something. Um, I, I think for me, a maximized or optimized version of the Raptors plays probably 500 basketball, maybe like a little bit more above 500, depending on how good they are defensively. But this team is terrible defensively, partially because of the tactics, partially because like I just don't get a great sense of accountability. 
Um, you know, do you sense that intensity from Darko? No, it's always just positivity. No matter what happens, it's positive. No matter what happens, it's positive. Um, so how can you really get accountability when it's positivity at every single turn, right? Um, and who knows? Maybe behind the scenes he's yelling at them, but I highly doubt it. Um, and then, yeah, like, you, if you're not going to play optimal strategy and you, you downgrade at certain positions, then I suppose the Raptors being 11 and 17 isn't all too surprising. But in any case, the Raptors lose tonight. Um, they'll get another chance to sort of recoup it tomorrow against Utah. Utah, you know, they missed a whole bunch of their key players um, in the, you know, win against the, 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 the Pistons, which was probably the most watched Utah versus uh, Detroit game ever. Obviously, with the anticipation of seeing Detroit potentially snap their historic losing streak, they did not. That losing streak extends to 25. By the way, the 29th potential loss is against the Raptors, so look out for that. Uh, that could be something that the Raptors end 2023 with, but... Um, in any case, Raptors have a chance to bounce back. But uh, to, to wrap up, your three stars from tonight's performance. First star is Pascal Siakam, 31 points, five rebounds, five assists, super efficient, 10 of 16 uh, from the field, 11 of 12 from the free throw line. If the threes come back, and, and there were showing some signs of coming back, uh, you'll see just a really, really, you know, honestly, a really good version of Pascal. Like, it's not enough to carry this team, but it's not his fault. Uh, and I actually applaud him for, you know, trying to fit in uh, and – you know, still getting uh, his way to being successful. Your second star is Gary Trent, 17 points off the bench, 26 minutes, knocked down five of the Raptors, nine threes. Um, yeah, just refreshing to see it from him. Um, hopefully that continues. If you haven't heard already, by the way, Gary Trent Sr. was on the podcast today, and I know the Raptors are, you know, whatever, but it's always great to talk to Gary, and we had a good time. Um, so check out that interview if you haven't already. Definitely one of the show's favorite guests. And then your third star, I'll give it to Jakob. I mean, I, honestly, I'm actually happy Jakob had this bounce back. Like, he wasn't going to stop Embiid, and it was a little disappointed that, okay, like, Embiid on one angle was able to beat him baseline repeatedly. Um, but, like, honestly, you get beat baseline, like, you should probably see some help, you know, especially for a guy going to the hoop, and there was very little help for him. But Raptors found a way to get Jakob involved. 9 of 15 from the field, um, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal. I would love for him to play a little bit more physical. Like, I would actually – there's lots of incidents where I feel like he's not been physical enough in that play versus, like, he's – whoa, he's overplaying and he's way too physical and he's giving him a foul. Like, it just feels like – wouldn't say soft because that's such a pejorative, but, like, I would love for him to be more forceful. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's he is he's on the wrong side of that right now. He's given up too much, like, space. And there's just a lot of games where you feel like guys are going through him. And you just don't see guys go through Embiid, for example. Um, and whatever. I'm not expecting him to be MVP level. But, like, you know, still, um, I think there's more. But, yeah, Jakob had a nice bounce back game today. Um, and for the first half, he actually was really able to confound Embiid with his movement and cutting. So, Hopefully they do more of that. Um, in terms of your Gerald Henderson Award winner, obviously that's Tobias Harris. 33 points in 38 minutes. Kept a minute in the first half. Eight rebounds, seven assists as well. Damn. Damn. And this is the guy the Sixers aren't even happy with. Like, Sixers fans, I mean, this year, uh, obviously, like, they've been much better. And, and I think Tobias has been better, too, um, for the most part. Although he can sometimes be up and down. But, like, this is the guy the Sixers are annoyed with. Meanwhile, the Raptors are annoyed with, like, why isn't Precious good? Like... <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's a different, I guess this is a first-world problems versus third-world problems kind of situation. Um, Oh, yeah, last thing, too. I mean, this is uh, something I've been seeing running around, so I just want to add it to the show. Um, But 
I've been seeing a lot of like, oh, Raptors hired the wrong coach. Like, you know, I, first of all, I think that's unfair to Darko. Even me, I'm not happy with Darko's performance so far, but I don't think it's like enough conclusion to say like, okay, they, they've hired the wrong coach. But I know a lot of people wanted Jordy Fernandez, for example, who obviously is the Kings assistant who, uh, you know, led Canada to the bronze over the summer. Uh, obviously, I, I think the world of Jordy was fantastic. But, you know, it's funny because people were like, wow, they, they you know, they, they, they picked, they, picked dark over Jordy you know they thought Jordy was one of the finalists I thought Jordy was one of the finalists but I remember going back to the summertime when you know big thanks to Canada basketball they were able to make Jordy Fernandez available to me on an interview and we talked about the whole run for Canada in the World Cup but we also talked obviously about um, the interviews that he had with Toronto and I remember bringing up the idea to to Jordy I was like oh how's Raptors interview process I know at one point they threw like a mock interview at the candidates, um, the finalists, and he was like, oh, I didn't know about that because I actually wasn't one of the finalists. And it's like, yeah, he wasn't even one of the finalists. So it's tough. It, it is tough. So, I mean, I know it's not, I guess, going to make people feel any better, but I know there was like a, if it, it, I feel like for a lot of people, it felt like, okay, the Raptors chose Dark over Jordy. It's like, Jordy wasn't even one of the finalists, which is kind of wild to me because I think he's a really, really good potential future head coach. He has a great personality for it too. Um, and, yeah, I suppose Sergio. Sergio was another guy that uh, was a candidate. By the way, that that whole coaching search, because it lasted so long and it also kind of like bled over with the Italian playoffs or whatever that were in the finals. Um, Sergio's team lost, I think, game seven against Ettore uh, Messina's team uh, uh, in Milan. But, like, the – Sergio lost his job over this. Like he lost his job. The the, the other um, the, his team president fired him essentially for essentially taking job meetings with other teams, aka Toronto. So it's like this whole coaching search has really led to a lot of frustration. But regardless, this is the team we have. This is the coach we have, and we move. Raptors are eleven seventeen. They play tomorrow. So check back then. Thanks everyone for listening. Please continue to rate, review, subscribe to the Raptors show. And yeah, programming note: there's no more daily show for the rest of this. 2023 year we got one week off and we will be returning on january 2nd uh with the daily show but there will still be reaction podcasts and also some banter podcasts because like we need something to lift the mood so um stick with us there otherwise have a safe and happy holiday and i hope you guys get some time off